remember that? It was like 19, 20 weeks. I'm sure you remember. hope you remember. Uh, that letter was a primer for the early church, uh, and it taught the early church how to live in a culture where uh, there were a special, especially difficult culture uh, as they were subject to persecution uh, and cultural differences that really collided with Christianity. Uh, the second book, Second Peter, uh, probably the same author. Again, not Peter, as we said in the first book, although it's attributed to him. Uh, the author gives the church then and today detailed descriptions and directions on Christian growth, dealing with false teachers, and being prepared and watchful for the return of Christ. So we're going to dig right in and just jump right into it today. We're going to read the first 11 verses out of the book of 7 Peter, and it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, obta- who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called uh, called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection for lo- with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we, as we go through these passages today, as we talk about it today, Lord, I pray that you change our hearts and our attitudes and our minds. Lord, help us to to learn to supplement our faith with these building blocks that you have outlined for us. Uh, And Lord, I love the scripture at the very beginning where uh, it says that we have obtained a faith in equal standing to all others. So there's no levels uh, of Christian salvation, Lord. Uh, We're either saved or we're not. And and when we are in Christ, when we're following Christ, when we're uh, a fellow believer in Christ, we have obtained equal standing to all other fellow believers. Uh, So Lord, I thank you for that, and I pray that you will help us uh, to grow and and, and to to put these building blocks into place in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here that God's divine power has given us all we need. That's the first thing I want to unpack here in verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life Uh, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I highlighted the words all things. For me, when I read that, they stood out to me. Think about this concept for a minute. The passage says that God has given us all things. He's given us everything, right? These, uh, These words, I think he chose very purposefully. I love words, and I love to look up definitions, and often I'll even look up definitions of words that are, are words we think we know. We probably all think we know what the word 
everything means. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's like, it's either nothing or everything, right? So I looked it up anyway, because I thought, you know, precisely because we think we know what it means, that I would look it up. And by, by definition, the word everything means every single thing. So when we take that, we understand in Scripture, it, it doesn't say that God gave us some things, or God gives us most things. God gives us all things. He has granted to us all things. There's, there's a power in that if you think about it. He, he gave us all things, everything, every single thing that we need. He doesn't hold back anything we need, but listen, nor does he give us extra because it, it, look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that he gives us things we don't need, right? It's important for us to understand that. He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't give us anything extra. He gives us what he wants us to have, and his provision for us is perfect. This is important because I think that one of the things we struggle with in human nature is dissatisfaction. And I don't know about you. We, we, we get something, and then we're dissatisfied with it, and we want something better. We want the newer model. We want the, uh, the shinier car. We want the grass that the neighbor, you know, there's some, there's some folks in, in Elmwood Park and I drive by their house. One lot in particular I drive by and every time I drive by, and I'm not like a, I got to have nice grass and everything's manicured guy, but I drive by that house and every time I go, man, their grass is so nice. And I don't even care about grass. I really don't. But it, you, I, I'll tell you, I, I don't know which corner it's on, but I'll find out and I'll tell you. We can all drive by and look at their grass. It's amazing. We struggle in human nature with wanting more and we want better. Uh, and, and, and you may even feel, it, it may be something that you feel a lot, that I don't have everything I need. And maybe you find yourself in the day or in the week asking yourself or saying something like, I wish I had a little more time. Man, if I only had a little more money, if I only had a little bit better job, <laughs> uh, if I only had a little bit greener grass, <laughs> right? Take a look at this video. I think we've watched it before, but I love this video because it really underscores this idea of wanting more. Who thinks more is better than less? Okay, why? More is better than less because if stuff is not less, if there's more less stuff, then you might you might want to have some more, and your parents just don't let you because there's only a little bit. Right. We want more. We want more. Like you really like it. You right. want more. I follow you. It's not complicated. More is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. We want more. We want more. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little, little girl. She, she really has a way of, of saying, I think what a lot of us feel, I want more, I want more, I need more. Um, but just as important, again, as I mentioned a moment ago about what is written here is what's not written here. God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly what each of us need. So don't miss out on that in that when, when he says he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he, he knows what we need, he's richly provided what we need, and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. This is important for this reason. Listen, you're not on your way to where you're going to be today, although I think we think that. We, we, we think 
uh, as life as a journey, and I'm, I'm always looking forward to the next place and the next time. And we've, the, it's interesting to me how this Second Peter passage kind of connects backwards to the things we've talked about, about living in the now and being in the moment and being satisfied with where we're at. And, and so what the, what the author doesn't say here that I want to say today is that God has already made it possible for you to live your best life now, today, this moment. He's already provided for you everything you need for life, and for godliness. Stop asking for more. Stop waiting for something to change and live now. Maybe you and I just need to rest for a minute. We just need to to revel in the moment knowing that the shepherd and overseer of our souls has already provided for us everything we need to live a life and have godliness. He's already blessed us with all that we need. And then when we, we, we can take a moment to rest in that and to think on that, then live. Live. Stop waiting for the next thing to happen and live now. Live in the moment. You are free to live the godly life your Father has designed and gifted you for, so live. Now the next thing, he kind of turns here uh, and talks about this idea, and I mentioned it in, in, in prayer a moment ago, about these, these building blocks, if you will, that build our faith. And I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 7 again, and it says this. For this reason, so he's talking about what he just had mentioned, but he said, for the reasons I just stated, make every effort to supplement your faith. In other words, to build your faith up, to make your faith more complete. And he says, there's these seven things. He says, uh, virtue, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And I don't know about you, but this when I, when, I re- when I read this, it makes me think of another list. Can anybody think of another list of characteristics? There's a couple here. What do you guys? Fruit of the Spirit, exactly. Well, it's easy to guess because Daniel read it already, so you know, you know. But, but if he hadn't read it, I, I feel confident we probably still would have come up with it. I'm just going to read just the, the first two verses of what Daniel read today briefly because I want you to see how the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit verses connect with these building blocks that we need to supplement our faith with. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things... There's no law. So when we connect these two things together, we, we start to look at, at building blocks. Uh, I just kind of want to take them one by one here uh, because what our, our purpose here is to become more like Christ to be transformed into his image. One of the parts of doing that is to have our faith built. So the first thing he says here is to um, supplement your faith with knowledge. Did I read that correctly? With virtue, Sorry. Virtue is the first one. Um, also, the idea of, uh, of virtue is goodness. So goodness is one of the ones that's listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is one of the characteristics of Christ, goodness. In fact, it, it's a characteristic of God. Uh, what we're, I've done a series in the past, probably not here, but we'll, we'll do it again coming in the future. And it talks about the characteristics of God. God is good. God is love. God is light. Uh, God is the creator. 
uh, God is almighty, and, and kind of unpacking the characteristics of God. So goodness or being good is one of the characteristics of God in Christ. In fact, you remember uh, the one time when the man walked up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, and he asked him a question and he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So it's, it, it's kind of an interesting side note here. But how often do you hear people talk about somebody they know and they say, oh, he's a good person? Anybody ever heard that? Maybe you've even said that. He's a good man. <laughs> She's a good woman. The fact is, Scripture says none is good except God. So whenever anybody says that, I always like, I know what you mean, but, <laughs> right? Uh, people say that about me sometimes. You're a good man. And I'm like, yeah, right, Daniel, Daniel, you're a good guy, and, and, and I don't know what you think, but I think if they only knew the real me, which is why we need Christ, because no one is good. But he says one of the things that we add to our faith that encourages our faith to grow and helps our faith to grow is that we add to it the building block of goodness, of virtue. Remembering none is good except God alone, and knowing that only the good in me can be built through a relationship with Christ. The only good thing I can do is that which Christ empowers me to do and does through me. The second thing he says is he says, add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge is not one of the ones listed in the fruit of the Spirit. But how do we build knowledge? Anybody, what do you think? How do you build knowledge uh, in knowing God? Read the Bible. Thank you, Jordan. That's right. Read the Bible, study God's Word, knowing God and pursuing His will, spending time praying, spending time knowing Him, spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ, pursuing the mission of God, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I, I command. Doing and learning go hand in hand. So when he says knowledge here, don't forget that knowledge has a counterpart, and that's actually doing something with the knowledge. So don't become a knowledge sponge, get squeezed out sometimes, okay? Let the knowledge that you have out as you serve. All right, so we add virtue, we add knowledge, and then he says, add to your knowledge as a building block in faith, self-control. The opposite of self-control is, uh, what, what would you guys say? What's the opposite of self-control? Out of control. I like that. Woo! <laughs> you ever seen those tube things? Yeah, out of control. It's craziness. Uh, I put greed, excess, giving in to habits and actions that can and will damage our relationship both with God, with each other, and will also damage our witness to the world. So there's a reason he said, add to your virtue and your knowledge, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, and self-control. Because faith without self-control is what? It's dead. It's worthless. We have to be in control. We don't give in to habits and actions uh, that will damage us or damage our witness or damage our relationship. We add to those uh, virtues self-control. And then as we continue to build our faith, he says another one we add is steadfastness, also known as perseverance, and that's the ability to continue in something. Uh, some of us are really good continuers. We start something and we continue it to the end. Some of us are not good continuers. <laughs> and there's a couple, and there aren't very many people in the building today, only seven. 
and a hand went up. Okay, so one out of seven, not good continuers. Um, and maybe out there you're thinking, yeah, that's me. You start something, but you don't finish. Um, maybe you have a room at home or a, or a garage or a shop full of half-started projects. <laughs> Daniel's like, yes, and I knew Daniel was going to, I already knew because I, I know that about you, Daniel, and that's fine. We have these these, these differences in our lives. Some of us are steadfast. Some of us have perseverance. Some of us start something, continue it, and finish it, and then some don't. But he says that in, in spiritual terms, the ability to continue in faith comes when you resist the pressures of culture. And Daniel, I'd have to say that that's something at least I've seen in you. Maybe you have a, a room full of half-finished stuff at home, but you have been faithful in following God. And that's what he's talking about here, that we become faithful in persevering and steadfast in our faith. We continue to follow the Lord, come what may, no matter what kind of influences come at us, no matter what kind of criticism comes at us, no matter what kind of persecution comes at us, we remain steadfast. The next thing he says is to add godliness. We get confused sometimes about godliness, especially if we've grown up under other faith uh, uh, backgrounds. Sometimes godliness has this like mystic, mysterious, when you say godly or holy, people are like, ooh, you know, I, I, that's like the saints. I couldn't do that. And, you know, we've talked about what a saint is before, that any Christ follower is a saint, but we, we can get confused about what godliness really is. And so I have a really simple definition here for us. Listen to this. It says this, godliness is having practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. Godliness is not something that happens mysteriously in a dark church building on Sunday morning. I, I grew up kind of thinking, okay, that's, that's the godly place when I would go to church, and that's the mysterious place, and that's the, 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 the holy place. When in reality, we add godliness to our lives, and then we become the holy place. Because as we, we read in Scripture and as Paul teaches in his epistles, we no longer have a temple that's a building or a place or, a, or an altar uh, uh, where there's this, mis- this mysterious God that we go to visit uh, on Sundays, but instead the Spirit indwells in us and we become the temple. We become godly. And, and adding godliness to our life and really understanding what this means uh, means having an awareness constantly when I'm driving, I'm aware. <laughs> and that's a hard time, right? That's a hard time probably for some of us to be aware uh, of God. But we become uh, aware of God in, in every situation. And so godliness is really having a practical awareness that God is, is interested in and functioning in every situation and every opportunity we have because if we're not careful what happens is we fall into this compartmentalized relationship with Christ. I'm a Christian when I'm at church. Uh, I'm a Christian when I'm around other Christians. I I think about godly things on Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday night when I go to small group, and sometimes when I remember to pray on Saturday night when I realize the whole week's gone by and I didn't pray or read my Bible. (laughs) <laughs> what he's saying here instead is that, there, that there, this is not a compartmentalized relationship with God. It's not an on-again, off-again, flip a switch, flip the switch off. But being godly and becoming godly becomes this, this, this practical awareness moment by moment 
hour by hour, minute by minute, awareness that God is in and through and interested in every aspect of my life. And that, in, that, that really informs how we function in the world, doesn't it? Because it informs how we talk to people at work. It informs how we treat others on the road. <laughs> it informs how we talk with our family at home. It informs how we uh, build relationships with neighbors. It informs what we watch on TV. At least it should. It informs what we listen to on the radio. At least it should, right? Because being godly isn't this mysterious shroud that we put on or this thing that we do at church, but it's just this, the practical awareness moment by moment throughout the day and the week and the month and the year that God is with us and he is interested in, in every aspect of our life. Then he says, add brotherly kindness, brotherly affection to this. And then I'm going to lump these two together. Uh, brotherly kindness is putting others before yourself, loving your neighbor. And then the last one is love, and we know God is love. Again, that's another one of the characteristics of God. A moment ago we said God is good, only God is good, nobody else is. Um, God is love. His love, in fact, Scripture says we can't properly love another unless the love of God is within us. So if God is love, His love flows through us to the world. Now think about those last three, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. When I read those and when I thought about them, it made me think of a scripture, uh, and it may remind you of one, but, but, but the one I thought of was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the, this is the greatest commandment, he says. So the idea of godliness and brotherly love and loving God are all tied together in this. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, at the end of that section of now add these things to your faith, that your faith would grow, he says this, if these qualities are yours, these seven qualities, if you are adding these seven qualities to your faith and they're yours, you're living them, you're, you're breathing them, and they are increasing... Okay, so if they're yours and they're growing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt ineffective or unfruitful? Right, I think we can all raise our hand to that one. We've all felt ineffective and unfruitful at one time or another. Now you know what the the, I, I say solution's not really the right word for that because it, it makes it sound like it's a really simple thing. One plus one is two, so two's the solution. That's simple. It's more the remedy, if you will. It's more like the cure. The cure for sick faith is adding these things to our faith that our faith might grow. Those qualities become ours and they live in us and move through us. And as they increase... They keep us from being ineffective, and they keep us from being unfruitful. So if you feel ineffective, you feel unfruitful today, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, begin to, to read uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, build these things in me. I love the way he says it. Uh, it's a very active word. Make every effort to supplement. Not just try to supplement, 
Not just work on it when you feel like it. Remember it Saturday night before you go to church Sunday kind of, kind of faith. He's saying make every effort to supplement your faith with these seven things. Would you say when you feel ineffective, when you, when you feel unfruitful, that you are making every effort? Probably not. So we make every effort to put these things into action into our lives. And then closing uh, the end of this passage, he talks and he says this, be eager to make your calling and your election sure. Now, you read that and you're like, what does that mean? Uh, He continues in 9 and 10, for whoever lacks these qualities, uh, which I love, he he returns back to the the seven qualities that, that, that build up our faith. And he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. I'm nearsighted. Uh, If I take off my glasses, I can read perfectly. Uh, So that means I'm nearsighted. When I look far away, everything's a blur. Uh, I haven't been to the eye doctor in quite a while. I need to, but they've been closed, so I've been doing a lot of this lately because I'm nearsighted. I'm not so nearsighted that I'm blind, but the author here is saying if you lack these qualities in your life, uh, you're, you're, you're a you're attempting to be a Christ follower, but, but you're lacking these qualities. You're so nearsighted that you're blind, having forgotten that you have been cleansed from your former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So let's unpack this for a minute. What does this mean? Uh, read a couple of scriptures here to help us understand what he's saying. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my beloved As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now I know we've talked about this passage before because I love this, because salvation in Christ is both a moment and a process. It's a moment and it's a process. There was a moment in my life, my 16-year-old life as Sean in high school who didn't know Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior, who heard the message of Christ who heard what it means to be saved to, to, and was asked, okay, Sean, do you want to turn away from your sin and your own will and your own way and follow God? Do you want to call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Scripture says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believes in your heart, believes in their heart, God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. Somebody asked me that. Do you want to do that? And, and everybody in this room, somebody's asked you that. And those of you listening online, uh, I'm asking you that today. Because if you haven't made that, that commitment to Christ and asked him to save you, that's your first step. But what he's saying here is yes, there's that moment where the, the 16-year-old Sean said yes to Jesus Christ and no to self. And God, in the love of his son Christ, filled my heart with this Holy Spirit and he saved me. That was the moment. But Paul says, yes, there's a moment when that happens, but there's also the process. And I love that he says, in my presence, because he was alive when he wrote this, and he says, but much more in my absence, he says, do this thing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you have to keep being saved over and over again? No. Does that mean that somehow we can fall in and out of salvation? We can be saved, we can be unsaved, we can be saved, we can be unsaved? No. Uh, and, and I'll tell you the foolishness in that idea 
is rooted in the same thing as the foolishness of thinking I can somehow buy or procure my own salvation by my own action. I can be good enough. I can, I can put enough good on the good-bad scale to somehow buy God's affection and I can be saved. That's false. Scripture says that's false. The wages of sin is death. Even one sin is enough sin to purchase my death. And no amount of my good action can outweigh that. Well, because we know no one's good except God, right? Okay. So we're not talking about losing salvation for the same reason. If I can't purchase my salvation with my good works and my good action, how could I keep it? by my good works and my good action. I couldn't. It's foolish. Scripture teaches very clearly that, that the salvation that I have in Christ is held in God's hand and marked by a seal of the Holy Spirit, and nothing and no one, not even Satan, not even the demons, can take that away. Nothing can touch it. So what does he mean? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It means that 16-year-old Sean, once he uh, received Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and I was baptized, I began to be told to live out the life of what we're talking about in First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter. We did First Peter for so long, it just flows off the tongue. Working out your salvation sounds like this. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Those are, those are two ways, uh, different ways of saying the same thing. Working out your salvation means you're not still, you're not motionless, but you're continuing to grow. You're continuing to remember you're not nearsighted. You remember that your sin was cleansed by Christ and you grow in your salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8, and, uh, 8 through 10, Paul again is talking and he says this, by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember, we're talking about faith, supplementing our faith today. He says, this is not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. In other words, not as a result of anything 16-year-old Sean did so that no one may boast. And then he says this, we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. What does that mean? It means when 16-year-old Sean said yes to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ saved me in the power of his resurrection. He said, well, now that you're a follower, now that you're mine, now that you're a Christ follower, an image bearer that I've redeemed, I have something for you to do. Continue to work out your salvation by supplementing your faith and continue in the good works that God has prepared for you before you even knew who God was, before my parents even knew who I was. God had planned good work in front of 16-year-old Sean and 30-year-old Sean and 52-year-old Sean, and he knew they were there, and he says, walk into them. That's what we're talking about here when we talk about working out our salvation. So how do we boil all this down? Because the passage we're talking about says, therefore, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Boiling this down, it means this. Make sure you are His. Make sure you belong to Christ. With, without a doubt, without uh, a hint, without a blink, 
you know that you know that you know that you can point to that time where you put a nail down, you, put a, you, you made a pile of rocks. The Israelites, they would build rocks when, when amazing things happened to memorialize God. There's that time in your life you can look back and you say, yeah, I remember that. 16-year-old Sean put, put a nail in it and he said, this is the time, this is the moment. This is when Christ saved me. Make sure that you know you are his. Have you really committed yourself to him? Have you released the reins? (laughs) Have you let go of the wheel and submitted yourself to Christ and to his will? Make sure, be certain, and then work it out. Get to work on the works he's prepared for you to do. Again, we go back to the beginning of the message. Don't wait. We're not waiting for something better in the future. We're not waiting. A 52-year-old Sean's not waiting for 53-year-old Sean to get here before he does something. The 16-year-old Sean didn't wait for 17-year-old Sean. You, you, get to, you get busy, you get to work, and you begin to follow Christ where you're at when he calls you. Get to work on the works he's prepared for you. And then the, the, the author of 2 Peter says, if we adopt this mindset, listen to what will happen. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you, for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what will that rich entrance into the kingdom sound like? Matthew 25. I'll read this to you. And it says this in verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The words that every Christ follower wants to hear at the end. But we don't look to the end and say, man, I can't wait to get there. Some of us do, but, 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 but resist that and live in the now and the moment. What is he calling you to do today? What is he telling you to do today? Uh, obviously, we've talked about supplementing our faith with these things, and maybe that's where you need to start because you've been ineffective and you've been unfruitful. Begin now. Return. Oh, I love it. Uh, Revelation talks about returning to the joy of your salvation. Remind yourself, and that's, that's part of, the, uh, of what that Second Peter passage is, what it says, make sure and, and, and check on your election, your salvation, make sure it's sure. He's saying, return to the joy. Look back to that time, that moment, and you know when it was. For me, it was that, that 16-year-old Sean in Berlin, New Mexico, the First Baptist Church of Berlin, when I heard the voice of God speak through the pastor and, and, and say, you need to be saved. And I was like, yes, Lord, you're right. I am sinful. I need to be forgiven, and I'm going to walk in you. When was that moment for you? You look back to that moment and come forward again and see the greatness uh, of what the Lord's done for you and remind yourself of the preparation that he's made in you and then begin now to walk into what the future looks like for whatever age you are. How old are you, Daniel? 40, that's what I thought. I was going to say 47-year-old Daniel doesn't wait for 48-year-old Daniel to get here. He just walks into it now. That's what I'm talking about. We walk into the salvation journey God's laid out before us, and we do it now, and we do it today. And we don't wait for some uh, ethereal, 
better time and day and place that may never actually get here. That would not be the biggest crime. Wouldn't that be the biggest, the, the biggest shame would be to get to well done, good and faithful servant moment and Jesus say, you made it. Paul talks about this. Uh, I, I wish I had the scripture pulled up. I don't. But he said, some of us are going to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> you made it, but you can smell the fire. I'll, I'll post later the passage that that's in. Because the stuff that we did in this life all burned up because it wasn't worth anything. God had a journey and a path and good works laid out before us, but we were sloppy and we were lazy and we didn't walk into them. Yes, we were saved. We crossed the moment. We failed. <laughs> we failed the journey. 1 Corinthians. All right, I'm going to look it up. Thanks, Daniel. It's nice to have somebody look this stuff up for me. 1 Corinthians 3.15. <clears throat> yes, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So you, yeah, you're in. <laughs> but, but instead of saying, well done, good and faithful servant, Jesus is going to be going, something on fire? <laughs> I do not want that welcome. And I know you don't want that welcome either. So purpose in your heart today Read 2 Peter 1 through 11 today. Read it every day this week. Pray through it. Uh, meditate on it. And ask the Lord to help you to supplement your faith with these things so you will not be ineffective and unfruitful. But in the end, you'll be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the book of 2 Peter. Uh, and Lord, as we travel through it uh, in the next weeks, I pray that you continue to get our attention. Call us, Lord, to, to be the Christ followers, image bearers you designed us to be. Lord, wake us up out of our stupor. You've laid out good works in front of us to walk into. You have a journey and a purpose for every person of every age who's in Christ. Lord, I pray that we don't waste those. We don't let those opportunities slide. We don't, we don't get to the end and you say, hey, you remember uh, all those times I sent people across your path? You, 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 you didn't talk to them. Why didn't you tell them about me? I don't want to get to the end, Lord, and, and, and be a disappointment to you. And I am sure I have missed things, and, and I am certain that we all have. But today is a new day. And if we're in Christ... And we can trust what Scripture says, that there's uh, a journey of good works uh, laid out in front of us. We can work out our salvation as we build our faith and walk into those things. And that at the end, we will not fail. We will not fall. But we'll be told, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, I pray that you get a hold of our hearts today. And you challenge us to walk in to the good things that you have in front of us. And Lord, thank you so much for the beginning words of 1 Peter that say you have provided for us everything.
for life and godliness, and we don't need anything else. Lord, thank you for being a provider. Thank you for being the one who has given us all we need. Lord, may we be faithful, and may we supplement our faith for your purposes, for your will, for your glory, and for your name. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.